We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience presented by DraftKings. Let's dive back in to NFL. It's been a week, so a lot of stuff has gone on. What's Lamar up to? What's Rodgers still doing? Maybe he went back into hibernation, into a dark room. I have no idea what's going on. Who are the winners and losers of free agency? What's going to happen in the draft? To answer these questions for me is going to be Kevin Cole of the Unexpected Points newsletter. Kevin, first time on the show. Thanks for doing this because I've always enjoyed both your write-ups previously and i always enjoy when you go on with davis and i'm like hey i listen to davis i'm a better interviewer than davis this is gonna be way better well hopefully we'll stay on topic when i when i'm talking to davis we'll talk a while about crypto and then like anti-woke politics and then other stuff that comes in here so but we'll try to stick to the the message at hand but i can't say i can answer all those things because yeah it's, it's like a fire hose of stuff coming at us now with rogers and lamar and everything else right now but exciting time the nfl can be a 12-month adventure don't feel like you need to stay on topic. Like this show is still you know, <laughs> okay. in the same vein of that show. It's just we're going to hammer it down just a little bit more. So let's start okay. Okay. with Lamar. And apparently he asked for a trade request three weeks ago and no one noticed, although everyone knew that you had to trade to get him anyway. I don't know what's going on with this. Is this just a product of no one wants to give up these two first rounders with the tag that he's on right now? Or is it a product of no one wants to pay this contract 
that he's asking for. Yeah, I think it's probably more of the latter. I mean, I think he made a bit of a mistake, and maybe you could say this is a function of not having an agent when you're negotiating is, well, there's no real better offer than a fully guaranteed contract. So if you come out and supposedly, according to the reporting, is that he got a three-year fully guaranteed contract, but that wasn't enough for him. He wanted something that matched Deshaun Watson, which were which was a four-year, you know, $230 million type of extension, fully guaranteed. When you come out with that from stage one, I just think that's a bit of a mistake because you scare some people off. Because even Watson in his negotiation, it basically was these teams were finalists. He wasn't demanding that initially, and the Browns were willing to provide that to get over the finish line. So I think if Lamar would have played it a little bit more like that, he probably could have attracted some more interest and then maybe even gotten that guarantee in the end when someone was committed and bought in and was really said, we need this, we will take the extra step. But when that is thrown out there as the beginning point in a negotiation, I think you scare away a few teams. It kind of reminds me of the Rudy Gobert deal over the summer where they ended up getting players plus four first round picks from Minnesota in exchange for Rudy Gobert, who, you know, like whatever on Rudy Gobert, he's fine. But then we get into the Durant sweepstakes as it comes around, and then teams are asking for four first-round picks, and everyone kind of learned that you don't make that deal. So in some world, if you look at relative value, then the Timberwolves got way more, or the Jazz got way more for Rudy Gobert than the Nets did for Kevin Durant, which is asinine. And it kind of feels like that's the case with this Deshaun deal. Like, it happened, but it was not a contract base setter for anything. People wanted it to be. The quarterbacks wanted it to be, but teams just don't want to play this. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I know you know everything that went on with Watson, um, as ugly as at least, you know, I and probably some other people view the allegations against him. It's just a fact in the NFL. If you are a valuable player and you can project out that you're not going to suffer consequences when it comes to jail time or things like that, he basically became a de facto free agent at that point. And he struggled last season, but I would say the view of him after that 2020 season, of course, he didn't play in 2021, but the view of him after that 2020 season was being, you know, in the same ballpark as like a Patrick Mahomes type of player. And for, for as much love as Lamar Jackson gets, uh, you know, in social media amongst a certain faction, he was the MVP. He struggled since then. He's missed, I think, 11 games over the last two seasons. I'm not sure if the perception of his, fair or not, in the NFL matches what people's minds are for the perception of who he is as a quarterback. I think that's the key point, because if NFL teams, not me, not you, not people on Twitter, if NFL teams were selecting from day one, they had two choices, they had the first pick in the draft, and the only two teams, the only two players they could start their franchises with would be Deshaun Watson or Lamar Jackson, who do you think they would choose? I mean, today it would be a little bit more difficult, but I think a year ago when this Watson deal happened, I don't know. I think it would mostly be Deshaun Watson. And, and if we were looking at it purely from a football perspective, I think it would almost be entirely Deshaun Watson. That's what I was kind of trying to get at here. Like, is it because Lamar doesn't project out as a long-term healthy player? Like you said, he's already missed the 11 games the last two years. His style is more geared towards, you know, part of his game is his explosiveness. And it's absolutely game-changing. But what happens when that goes away? At least with Watson, it does seem, well, he does have, he doesn't have quite the explosiveness of Lamar, obviously. And he can run, he can be mobile. But I think when teams are looking at it, it's like, oh, when this guy's 35, which is what quarterbacks, you know, that's just like halfway through a quarterback's career at this point. Can he just be a pocket passer and sling it down the field? I think those are question marks for Lamar still, although we've seen him be a pretty good downfield passer. 
Yeah, I mean, he was great in 2019. I mean, I think that he was extremely efficient as a passer. I think he has built-in contextual excuses if you look at some of the receiving weapons that he's had beyond Mark Andrews there. So I think all those things exist. But when you have a very unique player, and I don't think there's been anyone who's been this reliant on running when it comes to designed runs as part of quarterback play other than maybe Cam Newton and Cam Newton, a lot bigger player took more punishment than Lamar, but we also saw his play drop off precipitously and the injury concerns, which you'd assume he was going to be able able to overcome became a chronic thing and became something where he fell off at the end of each season. And even he didn't really top out in the quarterback market, I think because of those concerns. So all of that's wrapped into people's you know hesitancy to really go all in on Lamar Jackson do you think anyone would have these issues with Josh Allen after last season no I do not think anyone would have these issues with Josh Allen I mean Allen has been more consistently a high volume passer and if you just look at what he's done as a passer it goes on a different level and I think a lot of what Allen does when he's he's had some like tweaks and injuries and things like that he could probably just be a little bit smarter about, about how he plays and maybe that will evolve as he goes on. But if Lamar Jackson evolves into a, a quarterback who doesn't run as much, like who is he going forward? I think that's a big question mark because we've seen the bills run an extremely pass heavy offense, especially against certain opponents. And Josh Allen has handled that very well. So what do you think is the resolution with Lamar Jackson? And, and like, do you think it'll happen before the draft? Cause I know. No, I don't think it'll happen before the draft. I think the I think the Ravens have played this pretty well, quite honestly. I think they're saying we're not going to give you a fully guaranteed contract of four or five years or whatever you may want at fifty million a year. Um, we're going to use the non-exclusive franchise tag, which is about ten million dollars cheaper than the exclusive franchise tag. Which, if they need to use it multiple years, becomes really helpful because if you need to use multiple years of the exclusive franchise tag, we're talking about. $50 million a year. You got to have dedicated to him plus next season. And then they're just saying that we don't think anyone else is going to have the cap space set aside, be willing to make an offer, be willing to sit there and wait for us to match it all in this environment. So we'll bring them back next year. Now, the one thing that can foil this for the, from the Ravens perspective, and it's going to be a, a negative for, for Jackson also is that he could just refuse to sign the tag and refuse to play. And I think, there's a substantial chance that that happens, but it's not really in anyone's benefit. I don't think it's in his benefit long-term either to do that, but the way that the Ravens have played it now, they should have this season and they should have, you know, next season on a second tag if they want to play it out that way. If it's not going to be the Ravens that end up with Lamar, I'm just looking at these like faux betting markets. It doesn't seem like any real sports book has these up, but it's fun to look at odds either way. Yeah. Yeah. The the Colts are the favorite at plus two twenty five. The Patriots plus 450 the falcons six to one although they had come out immediately and said that they were not trading for lamar jackson it's funny when you have to make that statement via twitter although no one said that you were trading for him in the first place it's funny to get out in front of that the lions the bucks the jets the commanders tennessee packers and miami are, are there any teams that where you think that they should be going all in on lamar jackson right now yeah, I mean, you know, I talked a lot about the Falcons before they disavowed themselves as being there. Um, I don't know. I think the team like the Lions could be in the Lamar Jackson business, depending upon what they're going to do with Jared Goff. And I do think we could get some clarification after the draft, because when we talk about what like what's the opportunity cost going after Lamar Jackson, 
for teams like the Falcons, who I believe have the eighth pick in the NFL draft for the Detroit Lions, who are drafting fifth in the NFL draft or no, that that's the Seattle Seahawks. They're somewhere six, seven. They're in that sort of range right now. You don't know at this point whether or not a quarterback you may be interested in, if it's a Will Levis or if it's an Anthony Richardson, if they're going to be available or not. So that's like a huge opportunity cost. If you're into that player, it's a good PR move for 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 teams. And it's someone you're going to be paying a fraction of the amount that you would pay Lamar Jackson, perhaps after the draft if one of those teams doesn't have that quarterback from this draft class, doesn't feel like they're going to be in position to have that quarterback next draft class. Maybe that you know, dislocates the market a bit and we see some bids coming in for Lamar Jackson. So yeah, Detroit picks number six, the pick after Seattle. And I think they're both kind of rumored to pull the Anthony Richardson trigger only because you don't have to play them right now. And it makes a lot of sense for both teams. Like Detroit is closer. I mean, they're the favorites in the NFC North right now, which we can talk about in a second, but it makes sense for him to sit a year behind Goff. You probably got, you've already got more out of Goff than you probably thought that you were going to get anyway once you made that deal and you end up with the sixth pick. And the same thing in Seattle. Like if Geno plays well, that's great. If he doesn't play well, well, you've already drafted a guy on a cheap contract. The cheap contract upside quarterback is always going to be inherently more valuable than trading for Lamar Jackson and tying up so much of your cap to him, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you you can fall in love with these guys. It happens every single year. You say... Even Anthony Richardson, you know, 58% completion percentage or what he ended up happening. You could say, well, you know, we work with him. We get him on a different level. He has the athleticism. We've seen what happened with Josh Allen. There's just so much more of the kind of like what could be in that sort of player, uh, what you can mold so much more in that sort of player. And when it comes to Lamar Jackson, I think we've seen this with guys who have gotten traded, who have had contract disputes with their teams earlier, whether it's Laramie Tunsil or maybe Jamal Adams or Jalen Ramsey to a certain degree. I mean, they get really huge contracts going forward too. And it becomes even a double burden when it comes to cost. Like Lamar Jackson is not going to go get traded to someone and then decide, you know what, I'm going to give you a bargain now on this contract because you believe in me. Um, All of that wraps together to say, Option B could be a better choice as long as it's available. But once it doesn't become available, like you're saying, if if Richardson goes five, then you have a number of teams who may, you know, who it's going to move up the rank ordering of Lamar Jackson on their wish list. Did Josh Allen make all these guys a bunch of money? The Anthony Richardsons, maybe even Will Levis of the world, like, oh, well, this guy's not very good, but you know, when he's in practice and wearing shorts, he can make every throw. He's wildly athletic, maybe the best athlete we've ever seen. And we taught Josh Allen how to be somewhat accurate. Of course, we can teach everyone else. Have we seen an example of anyone who's not Josh Allen where this has worked? Uh, Not really. I mean, there have been quarterbacks who have been awful at the beginning of their careers who who got better to be like functional NFL quarterbacks. Alex Smith would be one of them. He had a really rough start to his career but then if we're not talking about Alex I mean we got to go back to guys like Terry Bradshaw maybe or others that are decades ago where maybe the one thing you could say with Josh Allen is he was not recruited coming out of high school very heavily he went to junior college uh he went to Wyoming I mean maybe it's possible he did not have one of these quarterback gurus and other people working with him really teaching him how to properly throw the ball until he was two and a half seasons into the NFL or everything just happened to magically come together. I, I just have trouble seeing for these other guys 
who are playing in the SEC and other places that have, you know, have had guys working with them forever that they would be able to turn the corner like that. So, I, yeah, I definitely think Josh Allen is the what if. I mean, we heard Drew Locke as being, hey, we shouldn't give up on Drew Locke after two years because of Josh Allen. You're going to be hearing that for a long time uh, because of that turnaround and that outlier success of Allen. Well, maybe uh, Trey Lance can. I mean, we don't even really have any sort of tape on Trey Lance, but maybe Trey Lance can be that guy. Maybe he can, although it was pretty worrying today that Ian Rappaport was talking about San Francisco's plans. They're like, Brock Purdy's the man when he comes back. And then they got Sam Darnold so he could fill in if Purdy's not injured. The name Trey Lance did not come up in his discussion of what the 49ers are going to do at quarterback next year. So the yikes, that's that's not looking good. Well, how do you judge it when a team, tra- they traded up to three and the rumors are always that Kyle Shanahan wanted Mac Jones and not Trey Lance and got bullied into it by John Lynch, which makes a lot of sense. He looks like he can bully you around. Very jacked old man at this point. <laughs> I mean, old, he's probably like my age, but either way, when you give up that much capital and you draft a player, you feel pot committed to him. Some franchises have been much better at getting away from that. Like, I, I know it didn't, it hasn't really worked out all that well taking Kyler Murray, but they had just taken Josh Rosen inside the top 10 and got rid of him for a better option the next year. Is this what San Francisco's doing with Lance? Yeah, I mean, I think they are. Uh, We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Lance has been okay, not particularly impressive uh, when he has played. I do think he was just a strange choice, not from an agnostic system sort of perspective or upside perspective, all those sorts of things. But when we talk about Kyle Shanahan, we talk about massive success he had with Matt Ryan. We talk about a ton of success he had with Jimmy Garoppolo. There were always rumors floating around that he wanted Kirk Cousins. He wanted him some Kirk Cousins. Everyone wants to get rid of Kirk Cousins, that he was into Kirk Cousins. So that's why I believed the Mac Jones rumors here. And at the same point, the quick game, we've even heard in training camp that, you know, that's just not Trey Lance's game. He has a bit of a wind up to his motion. He's a longer thrower. He's only thrown you know, maybe 600 passes, you know, throughout the end of his high school and college careers. He just is not a high volume type of guy. So I think it didn't work out. Now for San Francisco, they have Purdy, which helped work out. They had Garoppolo to help bridge the gap. And what they've also done here, and whether it's great strategy or luck on their own, is because of these compensatory picks that we're seeing, multiple third round picks you get whenever a minority is hired out as being a head coach or a GM, they've struck that bell three different times now. So we're talking about six third round picks that they've earned off of that compensatory pick program. That helps a lot when you've burned a few first round picks on a quarterback that you may not use. This might sound like a controversial take. Maybe some people will agree with me. I think Sam Darnold's better than Brock Purdy. He might be. It's possible. The problem with Darnold is, he always looks so good for a little bit and then it all just falls apart. It was typically in New York. It was at the end of the season. I think he finished his first and his second season really strong. He has, you know, the tools. He was the number one prospect in that draft. I know he didn't go number one, but if you talk to draft evaluators, they were more into him probably than any quarterback from, you know, maybe going back to even Jameis Winston or someone like that from 2015, 2016, 2017. He was really the guy that 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 evaluators loved a lot and then even in carolina he started off really strong his first year there and then it fell off and he started pretty strong in the last few games last season i don't know his his type of game maybe it will mesh with shanahan and we've seen if someone's willing to execute and he's 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 a risk taker i think that also helps willing to throw the ball in the middle of the field you can be successful in that system and i just think that the shanahan offense would give him the ability to limit 
the things that he's terrible at, like that bad decision-making. Like he doesn't need to be taking shots 45 yards downfield to triple coverage in this system. He can just hit some 11 yard crossing routes, get guys in space and limit. He can make those throws. No problem. We saw that last year in Carolina when he was super efficient at towards the end of the season. And then the longer the season went on and they had to rely on him a little bit more then the mistakes started cropping back up again. I just don't know how to evaluate Brock Purdy. It's the same thing as evaluating Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, are these guys actually any good? Like when Garoppolo starts for the Raiders, is he going to be good? Because I feel like he's not. Well, I'm, I'm a bit of a Garoppolo truther only because he was pretty good in limited time. And we're talking about maybe a hundred pass attempts in new England before he came to to san francisco in 2017 um you know they were i guess oh in 10 oh and 11 before he showed up there and they won the last five games and he was one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the nfl back when marquise goodwin was his you know wide receiver one and then of course he's been good with the all the weapons that they have there in shanahan that they have there too so i do think there is a skill to just going out there and executing and when you may, going back to Darnold, uh, this is like the most Darnold-centric podcast of all time here. Uh, going back to Darnold for a second, I think part of Sam Darnold's problem is he actually doesn't really have that strong of an arm. And I think he plays sometimes like, let's say, someone like Josh Allen would play, where it's just not quite there. And maybe with Shanahan, the way he diagnoses and, and diagrams plays and he wants you to execute on time, if he's willing to do that, I do think he could have a turnaround. Let's talk Rodgers. In conjunction with Lamar, what is stopping the Jets from trading for Lamar Jackson now? Um, well, it's a bigger cap hit this season. It is, uh, you know, potentially at least. I mean, Rodgers is a $15 million cap hit. Maybe they can keep it under that, depending upon how it goes. Uh, this is an ownership issue, probably a lot more than anything else. I think it might be easier to get Woody Johnson excited about Aaron Rodgers' first ballot Hall of Famer, Aaron Rodgers, even at... 40 years old than maybe Lamar Jackson going forward. And maybe it's a little bit more straightforward once you get the Packers to capitulate on this, you know, wanting a first round pick, which I think they eventually will get that to happen. And so we'll, we'll see what happens though. Go ahead. Because this has been brought up a bunch of times, even on this show. I, I do think that the Packers are going to get their first round pick out of this because you kind of hit on it. Woody Johnson wants Aaron Rodgers, And eventually this is just going to come down to give him the fucking first round pick. Who cares? It could happen. I mean, I think the, well, the draft's going to happen. So will they do something before the draft or not? If it goes beyond the draft, I could see a situation where it's like a contingent first-round pick. If Rodgers comes back for 2024, then it gets moved up to a first-round pick. The Jets might be willing to do that for the fact that they say, well, we have Aaron Rodgers, so it's not going to be that high of a first-round pick anyway. But I guess how I view this situation is the Jets – the Jets need Aaron Rodgers in a way, but at least theoretically, they 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 could go a different direction. I know there's not a lot of good options out there right now. Don't get me wrong. Um, but the Packers, I don't even know if theoretically they have another option other than going to the Jets because their other option is to not trade Aaron Rodgers and pay him $60 million in cash uh, before the end of September to maybe be their starter or not be their starter. Uh I guess it could happen, but I see that as being less likely than even the Jets going a different direction. If this relationship is soured to the point where it seems like it has between Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers, if you can't trade him, maybe this is the wrong franchise because it's public owned that they just say, fuck you, you're the backup. Deal with it. Would he even show up or would he retire? 
Um, that's a good question. I just don't think that would happen. I mean, it's like you have to start him. He's better than than Jordan Love, right? I mean, you talk about the markets and what they say about the Detroit Lions being the the highest odds in the NFC North. I mean, I think it's kind of crazy, but you know, the Packers as of now have the worst odds to win the NFC North, believe it or not, below the Chicago Bears, which I think is ridiculous, even if it is uh, uh Jordan Love in this situation. But like if Rodgers was coming back and he was the starter, I think they would have the highest odds to win. So we're talking about a delta between these two quarterbacks in that sort of direction. We're talking about a roster that is kind of maxed out in a lot of different places. If you look at the contracts for Jair Alexander, Bakhtiari, um, Aaron Jones, others. I mean, these guys have $1 million salaries this year because they're just kicking the can on all these different guys. This is kind of like a prime franchise ready to win. So if Rodgers was coming back, I don't know if you could do that to a franchise icon and first ballot Hall of Famer, tell him to ride the pine. Anything's possible, but I don't know if that even benefits you. Looking at the odds right now, yeah, the Lions are plus 140 at DraftKings Sportsbook. The Vikings are plus 250. The Bears plus 350. Now it's five to one for the Packers. I think it was four to one not too long ago. Now yeah, it's so, five to one. so here we are now with uh, what I'm assuming they're factoring is the Jordan Love led Packers. Uh, to be five to one just to win this division. People love the Lions, and it's easy to get excited about the Lions after seeing what they did last season, taking a little bit of a leap, seeming competent for the first time in 20 years. I mean, there was the one Stafford Galvin Johnson year where they got blown out by the Saints in the first round. Other than that, this seems to be their best spot to actually take a leap and be a decent franchise for once. And it's funny that Jerry Goff is their quarterback, and they might draft another quarterback in the first round to replace him down the line. But I just don't see in what world the the Vikings aren't the favorite in this division. Yeah, it's it's a little strange. And I also think we talked about, you know, like they could draft a quarterback. If they draft a quarterback, I think their their chances of winning the division actually go down probably this season if they were to start. I mean, typically you don't have a quarterback who's that good. The one that makes no sense to me is the Chicago Bears, though. I get they have a billion dollars. I get they're going to make a bunch of draft picks. I mean, draft picks don't typically come in and make a huge impact in year one. And it's like, yeah, they had $100 million and they signed players. Somehow, once it actually happens, we get excited about them. But I think the Bears are, are far away from being able to compete now. Um, unless Fields flips the switch and is able to throw the ball, which he really was not doing effectively last season. Well, if they gave you $100 million as a GM to spend, would you spend it all on linebackers? Well, okay, this this is the this is part of this article that I wrote today about looking at the draft and like positional surplus value that you can get from different positions. This is going to sound very galaxy brain, but in some ways overpaying and you're always going to overpay in free agency. That's like table stakes coming into free agency is that you're just going to pay too much no matter what the position is. Overpaying in free agency on positions that are not high positional value like like linebacker, you know, the, the the running back of the defense, you could say there sometimes can work in your benefit if that means you're not tempted and you don't use high value draft picks on those players. If you say, you know what, we, we've checked those boxes on day one and day two with these picks that we have, we're not going to draft a linebacker. We're going to draft tackles. We're going to draft edge rushers. We're going to draft wide receivers. We're going to draft those types of players. And then we're going to overpay for for linebackers in free agency but this elite talent that we just cannot get in free agency at other positions we're not going to waste draft picks on them from a, like a holistic roster building standpoint that actually might be a better way with all of your dollars and draft capital to build a roster 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So it's like the guy in a poker tournament who just wants to dabble in every single pot. And he just you know, milks away his stack. It goes from here to here, down to here, down to here, until he gets to the point where his only move is to go all in. That's it. That's the only move he has left. But that's actually a better move for him because he might win that hand instead of just donking off his chips the entire time. That's what the Bears are doing? Well, I don't know if they're doing this purposefully. It's more <laughs> my, my perspective is don't. the most important thing is don't use high-value draft picks on these guys. That is the most important thing because you cannot find – elite players at these other positions normally outside of the first round or maybe the first you know 55 60 picks in the nfl draft through the end of the second round just don't do that so if you're doing other things you know with linebackers there i'd rather have that than to go and and pay a bunch of money for a wide receiver and then not draft one in the second round because you got a wide receiver in free agency I'm willing to eat shit on this Justin Fields thing, but I really think they, sh- and it really depends on what the market was, obviously the first pick versus Justin Fields. I mean, you, I know nothing about these college quarterbacks, but 
is like if you were to put up CJ Stroud or Bryce Young against Justin Fields, who do you think is better? Um, I mean, as a prospect, I think Bryce Young is the best of all of them. It's just like the size thing is a really difficult question. But outside of that, I mean, Bryce Young is he's almost like a perfect prospect, quite honestly, as far as his 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 numbers, how he's played, his ability to make plays outside of the pocket, his ability to avoid sacks and play well under pressure. Like his pressure numbers are really, really good, which is something I've found translates well to the NFL where you're not in college anymore and you can't you know sit back behind one of the best offensive lines and just throw from clean pockets all the time. So I think he's a better player. I think Stroud is close. And I think with Fields, the thing is, we know his two years of NFL play in my book is not a positive. I know lots of people would view him as a positive, but he he threw the ball for, you know, barely the yards last year. Like he doesn't throw the ball in the NFL. And you're not going to have, I believe he had four 60 plus yard scrambles last season. That's just not going to happen on a season by season basis. And he takes a ton of sacks. He's either scrambling or he's sacked on almost 30% of the time where he drops back to pass. He's either scrambling or getting sacked. And we're talking about as a second year player, it's just not a functional passing game right now. So for me, I'd be worried about that. I see that as a negative. I see the rushing not being able to continue at this high efficiency. So I'm down on fields versus some others. So what do you think the market would have been for fields to trade him right now instead of trading the first pick? Uh, I mean, I think they probably could have got a first round pick for him just because of the fact that there is some positive feeling around him. He's, he's a dynamic athlete. Uh, so people could probably get talked into that. So I think they probably could have gotten a first round pick for him. Although I don't think it would have been in the range where you could have drafted one of these quarterbacks. So like a top 10 type of pick, it probably would have been outside of that sort of range, but they had the first pick anyway. Right. No, no. I'm just saying from the yeah. perspective of whoever sure. they would have, they would have like, if, if that team is the lions, they're going to be like, no, I'll wait and see what's going to go on the draft rather than get, get Justin Fields. For sure. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, if the, if the jets end up giving a first round pick for Aaron Rodgers, and they could have done that for Justin Fields, I mean, I probably still want to have the Rodgers for a year because I don't believe in fields long-term, but I'm just trying yeah. to think like, if you're now going to year three with Justin Fields and you're still by the odds, third in your division to win the division. By the time he takes, let's say he takes a leap this year and gets really good. It, he's not going to be at the Patrick Mahomes level or like the top five quarterback level where he's like actively putting you into Super Bowl contention. Best case scenario for that would probably be two years from now. After a year of being pretty good, then take another leap going into year four, year five, the back end of that rookie contract. If you don't believe that's going to happen, wouldn't it just make more sense to reset on a cheaper contract? I mean, that's what I advocated. Um I was really trying to be out in front of the ball on this because like within a day of the fact that they had that number one pick, I was already had written something up on the fact that I didn't want to go too far. I said that they should, you know, consider drafting a quarterback at number one, but I mean, I probably would have said they should just have done it. And I think there's a bit of a miscalculation when it comes to everyone's thinking on this, including Ryan Poles is thinking on this, where he said, you know, we're committed to Justin, but we're also, we want to get 2024 draft picks so we can maneuver around and maybe go up and get a, get a quarterback if it doesn't work out. In in all actuality, if the quarterback is really good, let's say the Caleb Williams who's coming up next year, like you need to get a few different things to happen. You need to get a team to get the number one pick who already has a quarterback they believe in because otherwise you're not trading up to get one of these guys when it ends up happening. 
he is much more linked to fields, I think, at this point than maybe even he thinks he is right now. And this will be, you know, next year will be his third year as as a GM. So if things don't work out with Justin Fields over the next couple of years, I don't think there's going to be like a reset and an ability for the Bears to go and get another quarterback. Well, maybe the move is play Justin Fields this year. I mean, he just played last year and they got the number one pick. Maybe they can end up with the number one pick again <laughs> next year. And then they can yeah. draft Caleb Williams or because the big talk around Fields is it's almost back to the Josh Allen thing. Well, Josh Allen took the leap in year three. Justin Fields, I think, body type the way that he plays i mean he's not quite as big as josh allen and maybe the arm isn't quite as good but he does have a very good arm if you could get him to be a bit more precise give him a little bit more time and even in year three they went out and got stefan diggs to play with josh allen and that made a considerable difference maybe dj moore can make a considerable dif- difference to justin fields but it feels like that's what they're banking on happening here is like oh yeah he's just gonna be josh allen don't worry about it yeah yeah we talked about that earlier that's gonna be the the road for everyone is to to be Josh Allen. I don't. I mean, I think for Fields though, the thing that concerns me again is like this whole thing of scrambling and taking sacks, not getting the ball out of his hand. When the ball comes out of his hand, it looks great. He's a fantastic thrower, but the ball has to come out of your hands. And what's weird thing about Josh Allen, and people may not even remember this, but if you were going to look and break down his passing advanced metrics in that second year where he got better as the year went on. He was better than his first year, but he was still the below average efficiency quarterback. He was actually good at not throwing interceptions and not taking sacks more so than he was at throwing touchdowns or completing long passes and yards per attempt. He was actually good at limiting mistakes. Fields is the complete opposite. He is the worst in the NFL as far as the sack percentage. And he was one of the worst in the NFL as far as his interception percentage. So it's it's really not a, a logical comparison to me. Yeah, it may not be logical. It doesn't mean they're not doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way of the NFL. That's the way of the NFL. And I think Justin Fields is a red zone quarterback. Okay. Like when when you're when you're watching red zone on Sundays, you miss the five straight drives, they go three and out, but you see that 60 yard scramble. You see him do the amazing sort of plays. And I think that plays into it too, is he'll give you two or three absolutely dynamic plays, but then they lose the game at the end. And like you said, a second year quarterback to play basically the entire season and you end up with the number one pick and you stick with that quarterback going forward, it's almost completely unprecedented. I mean, the the Titans got the number one pick in 2016 after Marcus Mariota's rookie season, but it wasn't like it was after his second season there. It's just a very weird situation to say a quarterback who got us, you know, three wins in his second year is going to be the guy for us going forward. When you're trying to project out defenses year to year, and it does seem, I mean, the numbers would suggest and actually just tell you straight up that offense is a bit more repeatable with all the same players year over year than defense is going to be. There's an element of randomness to defense a lot of the times. Brian Flores going to Minnesota. Minnesota, I believe, per DVOA was around 27th, I believe. I think they, I'm looking at it right now. They were 27th in defensive DVOA last year. What are the chances they can just be the 15th best defense this season? I mean, I think they're more likely than not to be better. They do have some talented players. Um, they were pretty poor last year, I believe, as far as forcing turnovers and things that are a little bit more random. And we talked about this this NFC North. I mean, it's bad. And you talk about defense being random. It's also random because it is highly influenced by the collection of offenses that you play and then even – 
you know, a subset within that, the collection of quarterbacks that you end up playing. So we're talking about two matchups against Jordan Love, two matchups against Justin Fields, two matchups against Goff and, you know, whatever rookie may be there, including um, a schedule that's going to be a bit tougher as the first place team from that division, but still a very weak NFC generally. Uh, I think they'll get a bit better, but you're right. This is a team that vastly overperformed in their win-loss, not only as they played on defense, but then also how they played on offense. I mean, Kirk Cousins was worse last year. The offense was worse efficiency last year than they were the prior year, despite their record. But it does seem like everyone um, everyone knows how much they overachieved, hence why everyone bet the Giants against them in the first round of the playoffs. But it now seems like the difference is now – yeah, they what do they have? Thirteen wins, fourteen wins, whatever the hell it was. It's like, yeah, obviously yeah. they weren't that good. But now the the conversation is they're not good. They are good. They're like a slightly above average team ish. And in the NFC, that makes you like really good and probably in the driver's seat for a playoff spot if you can just keep that going year over year. Even if they play exactly the same, what do they go? Nine and eight, eight and nine, something like that. So let's say they get marginally better and they're ten and seven, eleven and seven. They just seem really underrated because everyone knows that they were fool's gold last year yeah i know i think that's exactly it i think it's like positive regression from a fundamental standpoint is very likely for them fundamentally they're going to be more that average to slightly above average team but from a record standpoint no they're not going to be but you don't want to like conflate the two ideas and say they are going to be really really bad because they were bad last year no they'll actually be a better team but you know, with a worse record. Just trying to find the DraftKings release win totals. Guessing they're nine and a half would be my guess. Eight and a half. Eight and a half seems low for them. Yeah, I mean, that, that is low. I mean, they're getting a bit older, so I can see that. But yeah, no, I, I think Cousins will bounce back. I mean, I, I, I love all these, you know, system quarterbacks. What can I say? I'm a system quarterback truther. So I think that, that he'll be better there. They have Justin Jefferson. Um, Adam Thielen was just kind of taking up space there. Um. Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm a bit higher on them than I would say the market. You got to bring KJ Osborne back because he helped save my guy Nelson from the challenge. He pulled him out of a burning car, or, or he filmed it. One of the two. He was there. He helped save his life. So, big up to my guy KJ Osborne because I love the challenge. I need to see Nelson back in my life a little bit more. DeAndre Hopkins is going to be on the move. It looks like. What do you think Arizona can get for him at this point? I mean, not much. If you look at how important age is in these discussions. And I think that's part of the loss. The, the, two, the two things people don't consider enough in, in, in these trades is number one, a contract. Like what contract are you on? If you're DeAndre Hopkins, you're not just getting a player, you're getting a contract. And two is age. And when we talk about the Delta between when he was traded, uh, you know, a handful of years back versus now, that's basically most of his prime window is gone at this point. And at that point, that was a bad trade from, from the Texans, you could say, you know, the David Johnson and being a key piece of that trade, but they got a second round pick at David Johnson, along with a new big contract extension. I mean, look at Jalen Ramsey. He went for multiple first round picks to a third round pick in Hunter Long when he's gone from his early 20s to his late 20s here. So I think it's a similar thing with Hopkins and the money he would be due. Uh, I think it's almost $20 million for a new team this coming season. Like who even has that cap sitting around for him? And then another 14 million the next season. So even if he's going to be traded, Arizona is going to have to restructure that contract and bring that number down just to make 
anyone be willing in bringing them in? Because I think there's only a handful of teams who have $20 million to spend, maybe the Bears or someone like that. But bringing in a 30-year-old wide receiver doesn't really seem to fit into the game plan for teams that have lots of cap space at this point. Are they the franchise with the worst outlook right now? Yeah, it might be. <laughs> it's pretty bad. Yeah. I admit it's pretty bad. It's not it's not good. Not not great, Bob, uh type of situation over over there. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else who could have a worse outlook. No, nah, probably not. Because even teams like the Rams could probably get out from under where they are. I mean, Stafford's 37, so it's not I think he's 37. So it's not great for what he'll eventually end up being. But in some ways, you might prefer a clean slate to a contract for Kyler Murray where there's another thing with the Lamar Jackson discussion. Like, I don't get why he won't just do a Kyler Murray type of contract where it has these rolling guarantees. And I know it's not a full guarantee, but like all these guarantees on Murray's contract kick in the March before the year. Like it, it, it guarantees the next year's contract, the March of the previous year. And it's really something like 2026 before you can even get out of the Murray contract without with only only you know 50 million of dead cap versus 70 80 90 million of dead cap so it's probably not where you want to be right now what do they even do in the draft this year like do you just take a, a fantastic defensive lineman and hope that he's there for 10 years yeah i mean you don't take linebackers anymore as we discussed earlier that's been their thing and that's been their thing recently so stop it with the off ball linebackers first off um I mean, do, do they need a receiver? I don't know. I guess they kind of do. I mean, Mar Marquise Brown, again, they gave up, you know, the first round pick swap sort of situation to end up getting him. So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, you 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 need you need edge rushers. They have no pass rush at all right now. You need edge rushers probably is where they're going to end up going. But again, just 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 high value picks. Just keep doing high value picks and eventually things will go right, even if your bust rate maybe is a little bit higher than what you're hoping for. Well, uh, over on the Unexpected Point Substack, you wrote up the analytical draft value. I know we've touched on it just a little bit, but can you kind of throw out the theory behind this? And you know, they can obviously go sub over at Unexpected Points and, and read the entire thing. But give us just kind of a debrief on what that is. Yeah, yeah, sure. So there's always there's this disconnect between the value of what teams see as, as draft picks when they're making trades and what, you know, the nerds have, have pointed out as far as what what the value is. And the valuation for the longest time was based upon the Jimmy Johnson draft chart and the Jimmy Johnson chart when it was created back in 1991. And it still holds sway to this day. I mean, Brandon Bean and others will say it's like the first initial point that they're looking at. It is a market value chart. It was based upon previous trades that had happened, not like the value of actual players. So the foundation of all of these different studies, when it comes to how much is a pick worth is looking at something called surplus value. So it means the amount that you're going to pay for a rookie, which is depressed wage scale versus how much you would have to pay for a veteran player that would give you the same amount of uh, quality. And when you look at how much you pay rookies, this again, contracts are often ignored part of things. People would be very surprised how quickly it steepens when we get between, let's say, even the 10th pick and the first pick. You know, the 10th pick, we're talking about someone who's making $4 million a year versus $10 million a year of the first pick. It, it's a big, big difference. So it's really looking at that, like what's that surplus value you can get on different players 
but often it's presented as an average for all different non-quarterbacks. So what I did on this post was look at different positions. And that's when you really start to learn the surplus value is increasingly enhanced for offensive tackles, edge rushers, uh, interior defensive players who can pa- who can rush the passer versus some of the lower value positions where you're just not getting that surplus value where you could do better on a second round pick because once we get into the second round you're barely playing the- paying these players anything and on the free market you know safeties just don't go for that much linebackers just don't go for that much uh, running backs just don't go for that much where do wide receivers fall into this entire discussion is it best to pay up and take a tenth overall pick or a fifth overall pick on a wide receiver, or have we seen enough day, not day two, round two wide receivers really just be amazing, like year one, that the gap between whoever, a Christian Kirk and a second round pick, I know Christian Kirk is actually pretty good and had a very good year with Lawrence, but if you get a second round pick and you're paying him second round money rather than a bloated Christian Kirk contract, it seems like that would be the move. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I've broken into three different tiers for these players. So the tier one, which is really, you want to be going for, you know, top half of the first round, maybe not like top five, it gets very expensive for no matter who the player is in the top five, but you know, earlier sort of picks, that was the, the guys I mentioned before the tackle, the interior defensive lineman who can rush the passer and an edge player. The second tier is really cornerbacks and wide receivers cornerbacks more of a first round type of player receivers and maybe this is you know we'll have to see going forward how it plays out all these studies are based upon historical data so you have to always think about like what's the sample we've seen and we've just seen a ton of second round receivers hit and hit big whether it's Debo Samuel or DK Metcalf or AJ Brown all these different guys have been big big hits so yeah second and third round has been a much more fruitful place for nailing the wide receiver picks end of the first round has been okay but we saw many down years after that 2014 draft with obj and all those mike evans that was a huge huge draft the next several years after that were almost exclusively busts in the first round at wide receiver so how do you weight that like when you're doing scouting on the draft class that's coming out how can you i mean i guess through scouting you would do this but when you're looking at it and you're saying, well, here's the relative value of these positions and where they end up going in the draft. How much context do you need to put in to the pool coming out? You put in some context, but I, I think the mistake is always going to be to like overthink things versus what are more foundational kind of macro baselines for what you should be doing. So I think you want to look at it. I mean, this class is supposed to be a very cornerback heavy draft. So Maybe you don't need to focus on them quite as early and maybe there'll be some more talent involved in the second round. So that would be something to think about in that sort of draft. So there's definitely contextual factors. But what I think it always comes down to is how much is this player at this position worth versus the next player at this position and how steep is that decline? So when you have a rank ordering of players, you just know the decline is much steeper amongst quarterbacks, again, those tier one type of players than it is amongst the other players. And just think about that. Think about, can we wait? Can we get the next rank order person? Can we get two players further down the line at something like, uh, you know, interior offensive line in the second round, continue to wait for that sort of position rather than knowing if you go down one or two players, no matter what your evaluation says, um, just know in the back of your head that historically you're probably taking a bigger discount as you start to move down. 
when you compare this quarterback class, and maybe it's unknowable because if people knew things, then you wouldn't draft absolute bus at quarterback at number one, but it happens all the time. Stuff inside the top 10. I remember the Christian Ponder year where it just feels like because you, because you need a quarterback and quarterbacks are available, then obviously you have to take them higher. These guys, is CJ Stroud worthy of a first pick? Like, what's the difference between CJ Stroud as a first pick and let's say Caleb Williams from last year, or maybe even like, is he more of an Alex Smith type? that we talked about who went first overall, or is he an Andrew Luck type? Cause it doesn't seem like the Luck Lawrence type players are just available in this draft. The things that you would consider to be as close to a sure thing as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the, the quote unquote generational prospect is not part of this draft class. And of course there's a lot of, you know, rewriting revisionist history when it comes to who those types of players are. But I would say if we go back as far as John Elway, it would probably be Elway, Peyton Manning. I know there was like the whole Ryan Leaf, Peyton Manning thing, but I think that was more of a media creation than an actual thing. So like Elway, Manning, Luck, and also Trevor Lawrence. I mean, people have kind of forgotten about Trevor Lawrence somewhat at this point, but I do think he was in that discussion. And then other than that, everyone else has kind of been on a, on a, on a lower tier. Caleb Williams could maybe get into that sort of discussion, depending upon how he plays next year. Um, so I don't think any of the guys are in that tier this year. But when it comes to, are you worth a first round pick or not? Um, by the surplus value type of calculations that we've talked about, there isn't any non quarterback player who looks like a value paying them what you pay them on average as a number one pick. So like taking a shot in that realm, it's it, it, you just have to be less afraid of these guys being bust, more willing to move on if it happens. And you just don't know where they're going to be. You know, Patrick Mahomes was seen as being maybe a second round pick to start the draft cycle. It was a little bit of a shock in some people's minds when he went number 10, but he was still number 10. Like it, in, instead of Miles Garrett right now, who was seen as a generational sort of prospect. I mean, he's been worth, you know, way, way more. And so has Deshaun Watson, honestly been worth way, way more as a player going on now. I just think, like it's like driving a car off of the lot when it comes to non quarterbacks. Often once you, once you draft them and you pull them off of the lot, they kind of depreciate a little bit versus what they would have been. Whereas a quarterback who shows anything can go up a lot in value. Well, I think you hit on it. It's let's say the the Panthers take Bryce young at number one and he absolutely stinks and they know he stinks. They are now committed because they gave up so much draft capital. They will be committed to using him for the next three years. Look what the jets been doing with Zach Wilson. They had competent quarterback play a year ago. They were a playoff team. Yeah, but one good thing, though, about the Jets, and maybe this, maybe they've they've had some history when it comes to Sam Darnold, but how often do we see, no matter how bad a quarterback is, after two seasons, is the number two pick? is He's out. Like, he's gone. They have moved on from him. In my mind, that's kind of a a progress that's progress here is that they're willing to move on so quickly we don't even get the josh allen argument for, for, zach, for zach wilson for what could possibly happen there and i think that's that's a positive well and maybe he has to go the ben Denucci route and go play for seattle in the xfl or maybe the usfl which i think is starting soon go go rehab his image a little bit maybe he can make a comeback he'd be the new tommy maddox who knows what's in store for zach wilson but i think a lot of that just had to do with him playing in new york that you heard about it all the time how terrible he was and that press can be vicious there yeah yeah that's part of it and again i think the sam darnold thing where it was he wasn't great his first year but wait till his second year and then yeah he was bad his second year but wait till his third year and then he was bad his third year and you happen to have the number two pick and like if they didn't have the number two pick they sam darnold would have been back 
he would have been back again for another season. So I think having lived through that is probably helping the Jets move on also at this point. So I'm curious to see what ends up happening there because look, just to cycle back on the Rodgers thing to end it. When do you think he becomes a New York Jet? June 2nd. Really? That deep into the offseason? Well, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen before the draft. I think everyone is going to hold steady. Uh, like you need it, like you need something to really force something to happen at this point. I don't see anything forcing it to happen. All the quarterbacks are gone, you know, that the Jets could have picked up whether, I mean, would they've been that happy with a car or a Garoppolo? Maybe, but you know, those guys are gone at this point. And then June 1st, if they can trade Rogers post June 1st for the Packers, they do free up about an additional $15 million in cap space. And they are very cap constraint so maybe they would like to have that also they can roll it over to next year so i think it benefits them too and it and rogers is not showing up to anything <laughs> until we get to training camp or whatever anyway so i do think the jets will have to establish a deadline though sometime in june to say we need this done now we're not rolling this into july and we're not rolling this into august even though the packers there's no hard deadline other than the first week of the NFL season, which is when they have to exercise the option and give Rodgers his 60 million. But I don't think that I think the Jets will have to impose some sort of deadline much earlier than that. Do you think this is going to turn out more like Tom Brady and Stafford with Rodgers or like Russell Wilson? Um, I mean, Russell Wilson is probably a little bit different of a circumstance since he was younger and they re-signed him to a huge con- contract sight unseen, um, which has not been great. I don't know. I, I, I go back and forth on, on Rogers. I mean, the, the thing with Rogers is I think it could be a Tom Brady type of situation. I think he's a fantastic player. I haven't seen any signs of a physical decline from him. If anything, when he was off last season, I think it was similar to the lull in his play that we saw from 2015 to 2020, where he just didn't trust his receivers or the system anymore. So I think he can do it. The difference is, I don't know what Brady's contract was when he came to the Bucks, 25 million a year or something like that. We're talking about 60 million for one year for Aaron Rodgers, straight cash uh, that you're going to pay him or 110 million for two years. So do you think it would have been better because the contract is what it's going to be? We know that's going to be set when he ends up going to the Jets and what they're going to have to pay him and the impact that it's going to make on the overall roster. Would it be better off to trade for Rodgers, go through this whole ordeal, and you know it's going to be a circus at some point that may cause distractions, and you might get the guy who won MVP two of the past three years, which is fantastic. You would want that guy as your quarterback or someone that I previously stated I don't really like, but you do. Would it have been worth it just to play, pay Jimmy Garoppolo to come in and see what happens? Uh, no, I mean, I'm okay with Rodgers as long as you're willing to play this out. Um I don't know. I mean, there's always a possibility that the Packers will just refuse to make a deal and, and bring them back. But I don't know, for me, it kind of seems like this, like the whole mutual assured destruction sort of situation, like something has to get done unless both teams want to just nuke themselves. And I don't see how that benefits anyone other than, you know, spite in this sort of situation. So I think something will get done, but it just, if it can get done for something like a conditional, or a second round pick next year, I think that that's a fair deal, just considering Rogers' contract. I mean, you're paying the guy $60 million at age 40. I just don't think that's a necessarily a valuable deal. In our Cold War comparison that you just brought up, who is Khrushchev? Is it the Packers or is it the Jets? I guess it's the Packers since they are like internally crumbling at this point and just looking to 
to to to put on a, a good face, whereas the Jets may be ascending a bit more. But I, I'm not sure. I, I I need to refresh myself on on history before I really know how, how to make that comparison. Well, I mean, it could be the Jets because they want to get Rodgers, the big shiny toy, the the thing that used to be good. It'll create some flash. You know, it's, it shades the space race. Where does it turn? He's out? like he's like Star Wars. Star Wars is like the Reagan Star Wars is Aaron Rodgers. I don't know. I, we're, I'm going too far down down on this one. Yeah, I was just gonna say it seems like their space race program. Like, it, does it turn yeah. out there really wasn't much of a space race uh, when you go back and look through time but it always seemed like there was maybe that's what the jets are trying to do with rogers like prop up their team make them seem like real super bowl contenders would you bet on the new york jets at 12 to 1 right now uh i would not although i did think it was interesting is that is, is that currently because i remember looking at it recently i think they were fifth or sixth in the nfl for their super bowl odds which i was a little bit surprised that they would be that high in the division and everything else uh, but again, that's the flip side of the coin that we talked about, about the Packers are probably underrated right now. And so it makes sense that the the Jets would be a bit overrated. Yeah, they are 14 to one, the sixth favorite to win the Super Bowl at DraftKings Sportsbook, which yeah, it's funny because people are like, oh, Rodgers is going to go there. Let me bet that 14 to one right now. It's like, well, that 14 to one assumes Rodgers is already on the team, I think. Oh, yeah, it definitely has to assume that. Yeah, because the AFC is just a it's just a gauntlet. It's It's ridiculous. So unexpected points over on Substack. You can sub to the Mayo Media one over there as well. Love Substack. Have you been enjoying writing on Substack? I have. I mean, maybe it's I, I, it, it's a little bit of uh, an enemy to me sometimes, but the fact that I don't have to go through much of an editing process before sending something something out, and I could probably use a copy editor when it comes there. But for me, you know, before some of the places I'd worked for, I'd like you'd have to pitch something in advance. It kind of like I don't do things in advance. I have an idea and I type up some stuff and I bring in some data and then I write it up in the next you know, hour and a half and send it out. So for me, just being able to react like that and to have something that's fully under my control, um, I- I'm enjoying it for sure. Uh, do you have any any pieces you've planned out at all over the next month where you're like, hey, I probably want to hit on that at some point? Yeah, I mean, there, there's going to be a few. I mean, I'm going to focus a little bit more on some fantasy stuff by looking at pre-draft models for running backs and wide receivers and different stuff that I've done in the past there. So that's definitely going to be part of what I'm putting together uh, following up on free agency, looking at some projections there versus what teams have been paying to try to get an idea of more of a like a quantitative grading for what teams are doing in free agency. And then it's just going to be digging into all the different prospects, including the quarterback uh, evaluations that I've done, building on stuff I've done in the past where I've looked at pressure, like how well they perform under pressure as being a relative advantage. And again, Bryce Young looks really good for that this year and sack avoidance or or have the ability to scramble, which for the sack avoidance thing, Will Levis is, I think he took a sack on something like 28% of his pressure. So he's like off the charts bad. Uh, all the rest of the guys, including Richardson, actually looks really, really good. So I don't know. Richardson's going to be the hardest one, uh, hardest one for me to figure out. Do, do you think he'll end up going inside the top five? Yeah, I mean, I think he will. Yeah. I think he will. I mean, I think the thing with that we got a little bit okie doked on uh, Malik Willis last year was Willis is like six foot and a, like six foot and half an inch. Uh, Richardson's six four. Willis played for Liberty. Richardson plays for played in the SEC. Um, he's just as good of an athlete, probably there. And you know, Willis has a lot of alarming stuff about his profile when he was, when he was in college. So I, I think there are going to be more people willing to be able to talk themselves into this Josh Allen type of comparison than there was 
for guys like Malik Willis. And because of that, um, bet on upside, structure your system around him, all that sort of things that everyone seems to talk about. Uh, he, he is a rare athlete. And if that's the case, then he is going to dominate in fantasy whenever he plays. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause he was a runner too. So yeah, there's no, there's no doubt about the fact that, that he will dominate, but you know, you got to have like a floor for performance. And if we've seen, you know, all of my, all of my uh, rookie Trey Lance best ball shares can, t- can tell you. Well, I mean, his floor, his, going on. his floor was just that he never played, but like <laughs> if we both agree that fields wasn't good last year, we would be correct, but he was an amazing fantasy player. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, and Richardson was a great runner. I think the one thing you have to worry about sometimes, and which is weird because Fields actually wasn't that much of a design runner in college, but he had the athleticism and he's come out and doing it. Sometimes guys just don't like to run, even if they are good athletes. Richardson had had no problem uh, being, being at the focal point, even of the running game for Florida. All right, well, that will do it. On the Pat Mayo experience, more golf coming up the rest of the week, and then we're into Masters week, then more football. Mock drafts coming up, plus a brand new TV bracket. For the two weeks that I'm on vacations, the new shows every single day. Reminder to smash the like button while you're out there and subscribe to Mayo Media Network, the Unexpected Points newsletter on Substack and the Mayo Media newsletter on Substack. So go do all those things. They're all down in the description right now. Thank you all for watching. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.